Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing an epic race in Dijem, an absolute all-timer and with me here to discuss that is Issam. Welcome Issam. Yes, thank you for having me. Do you have any oxygen left for me in your tank? Because I will be needing some to recover from this race because Gavre race of the season, well, Dijem certainly passed that for me at least. <laughs> what a race. I, I don't know if I have something left, but it was definitely, um, you said Gaver uh, was the race of the season, but I think today uh, that was uh, there was something else. The emotional roller coaster that we had to go through with the men's race was uh, something else. Yeah, Kevin Kuhn had the fastest start, but Van der Poel was quick to take over the lead and he caused a leading group of four riders to break away from the rest. The four leaders were easier beat with Pitcock and then of course Van Aert and Van der Poel. Izerbitko dropped and fell back to a group behind and Van der Poel he attacked again from that leading group of three just before the halfway point in the race. He had a very good passage through the sand and opened the gap. His gap went up to nine seconds and just about at the time that it looked that he was able to consolidate that gap and was in a position to start expanding that gap he went in for a new bike. Pitcock in the background had actually dropped Wout van Aert because van Aert was again in trouble in the sand section. But Pitcock, he gained new confidence out of that situation where Van der Poel took the new bike. He came back and Van Aert, he found a new gear. He all of a sudden was back. He looked dead a couple of minutes before but he flipped the race around in 40 seconds. The three came back together and before the sand section Van Aert took over the lead. From there on, Van Aert had a very good passage through the sand, and this time it was actually Van der Poel who had the bad sand passage. Van Aert opened the gap. It was almost deja vu to the situation before, because this time Van Aert had a gap of 9 seconds, but went in for a new bike. This allowed Van der Poel to come back, and Van der Poel had actually distanced Pitcock in the chase. However, this time it was Pitcock who flipped the race around completely again. The race was turned on its head as Pitcock took the lead, and... That caused this time Van der Poel to be under pressure. And this time it was for real. Van der Poel was done. The light went out for him. He had nothing left in the tank and needed to settle for third. We went into an epic battle between Pitcock and Van Aert in the final lap. In the final lap there were numerous position changes. Tom Pitcock even taking a very, very audacious, almost Formula 1 style line. Lining up his corner super wide. Cutting across the apex and overtaking Van Aert after Van Aert had just overtaken him before. It looked to be that Pitcock was going to go into the final muddy section first. But Van Aert managed to squeeze through somewhere and went into that section first. Pitcock then made a small slip in the penultimate corner which led to Van Aert going up the stairs first. And ultimately saw him take his first win in Dijem. Pitcock needed to settle for third with Van der Poel in third. But oh, what a race, what a race. It's um... We can talk long or short about form or whatsoever, but I'm interested to hear for you, what was the moment of the race? For me, the moment of the race was when Van Aert and, and, and Pitcock were, were coming back to Van der Poel that was, that was leading. And on a course like, like, like Dijem, Van der Poel is, is you know, the guy that, that we said was the main favorite and his, the, the record that he has speaks for itself. But that was for me the dynamic that changed the race uh, to to you know a race where you were thinking that there was one guy that was able to win, to then Van Aert and, and Pitcock coming back and even taking over from him and 
Van Aert then looking to 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 then go go for a solo and Pitcock, you know, kept on fighting and made sure that the race was going to be uh, you know the race with full of full of tension till the last corner. I think that was that was for me that that later part of the race, the curveballs that were thrown at us, that was definitely the moments of the race. But I think you know it's, it's so difficult to pick just one moment because. I think the whole race was really, you know, truly it was uh, fantastic to watch. It was, again, great to be to be sitting on the couch and watching it from 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 the TV. Or I think as a, as a spectator, it was even more exciting. It was um, from yeah from the start. It was great to watch and it was uh, exciting from from the start. It was amazing. The switches in momentum this race were just insane. As you say, at some point with Aldo van der Poel is consolidating his lead. He looks to be in for another win in his playground in Dijem. But then all of a sudden Van Aert comes back in it. Pitcock comes back in it. And I think that the moment of the race, therefore, was the moment that Van der Poel went in for a new bike. Because that bike change really gave new life to the chase behind. Van der Poel in the post-race interview said he didn't have great legs. And that might be true... But I think he wasn't actually too far away from winning this race. If we look at the lap times, in the lap that he attacks, he puts in a 7.24. That's an insanely fast lap. That's the fastest lap of the race. He put it in in lap 2, he put it in in lap 5, and then Van Aert put it in in lap 6. So you can see that it's clearly a very fast lap time. Van der Poel has them under pressure. He is in a position where he has a lead of 10 seconds and I can understand his reasoning. He thinks, oh, I haven't changed bikes for a couple of laps. It's muddy. I don't want to get a mechanical. But he already lost a second on the off-camber because Pitcock was insanely fast there. Nine seconds became eight seconds. He loses three by changing bikes. Pitcock then all of a sudden can see Van der Poel and thinks, hey, I'm four seconds closer. I was 10 seconds down. Now five seconds. Ooh, that's great. I need to keep going. And the same happened with Van Aert, because Van Aert was almost out of it. He was dropped by Pitcock, he was struggling through the stand, he was really, like, almost knocked down, he was waiting for the final punch, and Pitcock, he was also waiting for the final punch. Like, it was just waiting, like, at some point this gap should have gone to 12 seconds or 13 seconds, and then it would have been game over. The head would have gone down, they would have focused on the battle for second. Now the opposite happened. Van der Poel gave them new life in their chase, they gave them new morale, and that allowed them to eventually come back in this race. And then Van der Poel paid the price for a very furious first half of the race. Because he went very, very deep. And the same goes for the rest. But Van der Poel spent a lot of energy in that first part of the race. Yeah, he definitely did. It was, um, you know, he had the advantage in the sand section. And then the barriers, especially compared to Van Aert, he was going over the barriers faster. Then, you know, for Van der Poel, it was definitely the the moment for him to, to put them under pressure. Not with the intensity that he was doing, maybe. Especially if you look at the lap times and see that it is it was very close. I think both him and, and, and Van Aert were going very, very deep till till the, the last moment. Pitcock uh, was looking a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say relaxed, but it was a bit fresher than than the two van der Poel and van aert he looked a li- little bit better in 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 you know in terms of of racing and his facial expression and stuff he was still going deep as well in this race but also in the post interview he looked he looked all right but yeah van der Poel, if he didn't put the, that intensity in the beginning part of the race he might have been in a better position later on and 
yeah, maybe uh, afterwards he, you, you know, you could argue something like that. But I think that he probably thought that he had the legs to do what he did. But later on, found out that he didn't have the legs, and he was also very honest in his uh, post-race interview about that. I mean, it's easy in hindsight. I think the decision in the moment makes sense, but if we reflect back on it, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. And we can equally say the same because Van Aert does the same. He flips the race on his head. Van der Poel is thinking, what is happening? I have been the master of this sandpit. I have taught Van Aert to take the right line instead of the left line. Now all of a sudden he's copying me. He's in front of me. What's going on? He gets nine seconds and then he does the same thing like... In hindsight, Van Aert also shouldn't have gone for the bike change there because for him it would have also been easier to win from the position with 9 seconds ahead rather than needing to fight it out till the line against Pitcock. Pitcock also made a weird bike change because when Van Aert placed that attack, Mr. Pitcock went into the pits. What were you thinking there, Tom? That's not the moment to go for a bike change, but yeah, they all made some weird bike changes. I feel like with the intensity of this race, there were almost no like easy decisions to make in terms of when you're going to go for a bike. I did notice that Pitcock was changing bike quite a lot. Normally, he is a rider who's very conservative in the number of bike changes, but today he definitely didn't take any risks, which is probably the best, but still, the timing sometimes was a bit off. I do think that Pitcock, towards the end of the race, started benefiting from that left line in the sand pit. In the beginning, it didn't work. But as more riders went through there, there was a clear rut forming there and it looked to be almost as fast, if not faster, than on the right side. So that eventually seemed alright and seemed to keep him in the race. But they all made some weird tactical decisions throughout the race. But at the same time, they all looked knocked out and Pitcock also flipped the race on his head because Pitcock only just came back before the sand, like the uphill before the sand section, like in the nick of time. And only because Van Aert and Van der Poel clearly killed each other's legs and needed to get some recovery. And that's just the dynamics of the race. And he might have looked fresh, mainly, I think, because he could sit in the wheel for some time. But he also needed to put in quite some effort because third in that group, closing gaps from every corner, trying to follow Van Aert on the straight when he is racing like a TGV. Yeah, it, it, it is by far the best race I've seen from Pitcock ever. Like, on this course, to fight with them, bravo. He definitely was was having a ticket one way to the finish line with, with Wout van Aert in terms of, you know, the way van Aert was going. That was almost like a TGV. It was, it was fast. It was really fast. But Pitcock, on a course that normally you would say that is not really a course that suits him well. He, you know, we we tend to say that, that Pitcock lacks a little bit of, of, of power compared to... to to Van der Poel and, and Van Aert in terms of crosswise, and you know there was also something that said that Kurt Bogaert said during the race in, in in the broadcast that you know Pitcock doesn't have you know the the same natural ability that Van Aert and Van der Poel have in terms of of cyclocross. But today there was nothing to to even think about that. You know Pitcock was uh, always doing his best to to stay with the with the two even took initiative in the last uh, in the last lap and and, and try to to break van Aert. then that amazing move like you said where he did the over under went a little bit wide cut it back and and, and passed van Aert there which which was amazing and could have been the the, the move of the race but van Aert was was still had something left in the tank and was able to then 
pass uh, Pitcock again, but he was definitely surprised by that move. And I, I think that Pitcock today was a very, you know, mature drive. He was, uh, you know, going from from the first lap. He had a good start, which is also something that that hampered him from time to time. And he was meant to be with these guys, and he, he definitely showed today that he deserves to to be called uh, one of the big three. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, if that was even a thing. I think he was eager to show himself after yesterday. He was pissed after his race yesterday. He was not happy. He wanted to show him, and he did. Despite the fact that he had that first-class ticket on TGV Van Aert, he was able to still provide the fight. And he maybe said it was the easiest out of the three, but I think that had to do with his technical ability. Technically, he was so superb today. That off-camber, he was the fastest there every lap. And especially the corner of the off-camber. That was fabulous. Of course, getting those technical moves in. But towards the end of the lap, there was this corner when they came off the bridge. The muddy 180 corner. Oh, how late he got off his bike there. Sliding in the mud. Throwing his bike around the corner. It was absolutely fantastic skill by him today. And that is, I think, what kept him in the race. And despite that, he couldn't take the upper hand of Van Aert in the final lap I don't think he can really blame himself or anything because even if he would have been in the wheel of Van Aert or ahead of Van Aert up that stairs Van Aert probably wins that sprint although hmm, if Pitcock is in first there who knows but he gave it his everything they changed positions a number of times and then you can't really say well he should have done it later because where Van Aert did it there was basically no room to really make a move but at the same time I've been hyping or at least giving credit to Pitcock now. Let's also give credit to Van Aert who wins the race because halfway through the race, it looked to be that he thought it was over. He thought, okay, it's going to be second or third today, whatever, it's fine. My legs are dead. But somehow he managed to switch a button in his head and dive super deep because his first reaction after the race, this can't be healthy, really said everything about how deep he needed to go today. Yeah, I mean... Van Aert was, I think, two, three times out of the race. Um, and also in his body language. Eh? And then, out of, no, out of nothing, tries to find something in his legs. Mentally, is like, okay, I cannot... I cannot just, you know, l- look at the race unfold. I have to to try and get back. Got motivated again, or however you want to call it. You know, it's easy for us to, to, to say that when we are sitting on the couch... In in a warm house, looking looking at those guys bending it out at night in the cold, but you know, then he finds some fire again and was able then to just get himself back together and 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 get back in the race and try to you know to to win it and then eventually also win it. You know, so Van Aert is someone that that is probably the worst guy to have as a rider that's going to chase you because he doesn't really understand the word give up you know he never gives up he's always always trying to battle that was always the case when he was battling van der poel well van der poel was in many races a little bit better he was always keeping the gap 20 15 uh, 30 seconds but he was always trying to to keep the gap as close as he could in case something happened and today it was you know there were definitely some moments that he was in difficulties but he just kept on going and the deserved winner for sure and gave us a, a great show and, and great race to watch you know from you can knock van Aert down 10 times and he will get back up 11 times such a class rider he never gives up this is what we know from van Aert. even in the seasons that he would always 
get beaten by Van der Poel or at least on a very regular basis, he would always keep fighting. Even if the gap was 20 seconds the whole race, he would keep giving his all. He would always keep pushing in case something happened. And as you say, it's a terrible rider because you can't get rid of him. You think, oh, finally, now surely he's cracked. And all of a sudden he goes deep again. And that's just fantastic. And it eventually also means that he absolutely deserved this victory. I think there's cases to be made about all three riders deserving the victory. But at the same time, I am a bit scared for what is left to come because we have now seen three days with three super tough crosses. Tomorrow is a rest day, I assume at least. And then we go again in Lunhout. They will bring up the fight again and they will go deep again. Pitcock then does Bao and Herentals and Herentals again, all three riders at the start. And then after that, Van der Poel and... Van Aert, they go to Kokseide, they face each other again there. Then they go to Zonhoven, face each other again there. Surely it's not possible that they keep racing like these absolute madmans all the time. Surely it's just not possible that they are able to do that. Because at some point, even for these riders, their energy levels must go down. At some point, surely they must might think, well, maybe today I don't need to force the decision in the first part of the lap. And if we just take it easy we can maybe instead of attacking in lap one or two the first part of the race we can drag it on a bit and do it a bit later and save some energy because it's been absolutely insane the level that these riders have brought up the past couple of days yeah indeed i, I think that the next couple of races that they will see each other they will take it a little bit easier but to be honest, today they it was not full gas from the start. Eh? It, you know, the race unfolded like it unfolded, and Van der Poel was basically the guy that that really wanted to start something. And in Zolder, it was the same uh, scenario. It was again Van der Poel that opened that race very fast. So I think that the key is with 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 Van der Poel at the moment because Van Aert, when he was with uh, with Pitcock in Dublin, was you know his um, his way of racing was a bit more conservative with van der Poel it's um, you know we know that he has the tendency to go fast from the start or at least uh, you know look uh, try to be at the front from from lap one and then at lap two or lap three try to open a gap or at least put the opponents on under pressure so th that will be the the key factor has van der Poel does van der Poel wants to open the race uh, so fast or uh, after these races does he think that it's maybe a better idea to to take it just a little bit easier at the first two three laps which also brings some risks with because you know you have the other riders are going to be there as well they're going to fight for position and that can put you in some trouble but i think that they are um, you know great riders and professionals so they they know what they're doing and i think that they know what their limits are so i don't think that they, they you know they will get themselves into a lot of trouble in the next coming races and they will get themselves going well. Yeah, you are right, Isam. This was cross as cross was meant to be. And it does bring risks to take it easier in the first part of the race. You're absolutely right in that. Bigger chances of a crash, colliding with other riders, having other riders intervene, which means you miss the decisive attack. But even these riders can't have infinite energy reserves because Van Aert and Van der Poel were both very dead. Pitcock looked relatively fresh, was even joking about motor pacing tomorrow. But... At the same time, I don't know if I should look anything behind that. 
is Pitcock a bit fresher? Maybe. Maybe he recovers quicker than the other two. Maybe it's not the case. We will see in Luna how that goes. Many of the all-time cross riders are going to be skipping that one. No Swake, no Easy Beat. We'll talk about those riders in a bit, but I would expect that they need to be taking it a bit easier because if they keep racing like this at the end of the Christmas period, both riders will be absolutely dead because Pitcock is skipping out of the races in the latter part of the Christmas period. No Kokseide, Gulligum or Zonhoven for him. So that could benefit him, but this is my final say on this. Pitcock, please, 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 please race the World Championships. Come on, please, please do it. Let's look at the entire top 10 then. Van Aert with the win ahead of Pitcock and Van der Poel, as we just discussed. Isebiet, strong race by him, ended 4th. Van Toerenhout, 5th ahead of Van der Haar and Hermans. Thibaut Nijs in 8th ahead of David Haverdings and Kevin Kuhn in 10th. I would have hoped that the top 10 was boring for the rest, so we could keep it relatively short, but we can't do that. We need to talk about some of these performances here. First of all, Eli Isabit. Isam, what is up with him? It's inconsistent. He's as inconsistent as Dutch weather, because yesterday he was nowhere. Today, all of a sudden, he's fourth, staying with the big guys in the first part of the race, and then eventually riding away from the rest pretty easily. Uh, super weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, yesterday you asked the same question about what's going on with, with Iserbeet and I think I said something along the lines of that, that it's hard to tell what's going on with him and today it was also very hard to tell what's going on with him. He started well, was was going quite well with the with the three. Then, you know, was not able to follow but but kept his fourth place I wouldn't say relatively easy because I think, you know, Van der Haar and Van Turenhout were definitely closing in on him, but then at a certain point the gap started growing again and you know, yeah, he he, he kept on, uh, on on that fourth place and was, you know, over the line you saw the kind of, I think, maybe a relief. It's it's hard to say, but I think that Heus de Zolde was definitely not a smart race to start start going again because it's a, it's a shock for the body. So hopefully that is the main uh, issue for, for Izerbit, or that was the main issue yesterday, and today he was in a race which is... A little bit slower it was it was more across in a way so hopefully that will give Iserbeet the opportunity to get back into a rhythm uh, is it pain-free I don't know but probably today there was not really a lot of pain and when it goes a bit wrong or he has a bad result there is maybe more pain involved so I don't know it's 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 very difficult to say I think with the result like this in Dijem you you know there is not going to be a scenario where like we were you know, suggesting in a way where if it was not going to be a great result here in Dijem that he should then be looking at his season and and, and focus maybe on the Belgian Championships or uh, just do two or three races, two races and then, then already go to the Championships. But for me now, I think he is, I wouldn't say 100%, but he is definitely on, on a level that he can just do the other races and when there is some pain, he needs to check it and see what's going on. But... It's, it's very difficult at the moment, and I think he should just be very happy with his result. Then on to the guy right behind him, his teammate, Michael van Turenhout. This guy had everything thrown at him, not by the spectators who were throwing middle fingers at Van der Poel and some beer again, but that's it for that. Van, the, van Turenhout got some other things thrown at him. In the first lap, the bike of Zweig. Zweig missed the second barrier, hit it, jumped off his bike super late, and his bike went into Van Turenhout who crashed. 
stayed on the ground for a bit but strong recovery ride despite a crash and another slip definitely not a flawless race but good effort by him to come back and eventually he takes the upper hand of van der haar both riders do a good job in terms of the super prestige classification because sweek had an absolute nightmare after that issue in the first lap he absolutely fell down the field he was an eighth in the final lap he again lost a couple of places ended 11th he was leading the super prestige going into yesterday's race now he's 10 points behind van der haar his super prestige classification is basically over van tourenhout is in second seven points down van der haar is in a very good position for the super prestige now for sweek it was probably a matter of his back playing up again which is very unfortunate for him then two more names that we need to discuss, or basically one, Thibaut Nice, we've discussed him in Gavre already, he again put in a good effort today, but what a ride by his teammate is some, David Haverdings, first year on a 23, we know that he's been in terms of form improving quite a bit post training camp, but whoa, what a race by him, a top 10 here, impressive. As if there was not uh, enough curveballs thrown at me this race. <laughs> when when the, the riders were finishing and then you see Haverdings within the top 10, for me was, to be honest, was, yeah, quite a quite a shock because it's his first year on the 23. He is um, trying to fit in with the, you know, during the elite races because you have to do quite some elite races while you are an under 23 guy. But he, you know, you have to just, that is an experience you have to get through and it's it's very difficult, but you have to adapt on, on, on that. And today um, he had a, probably the best race of the season, I would say. It was, was definitely a very good race from his side and a top 10, not so far off from, from Nice, by the way, which I think is, um, that, that, that tells you enough that it is definitely a very, very good result. He's getting the hang of it of racing with uh, with the elites and and trying to to you know get going. I think his position at the start is also a little bit better, so that helps. So yeah, I think that's from him. It's a very good uh, very good result and interesting to see if he, um, he he can have some more of this during the Christmas period because you know these are the the moments that you have a lot of attention, so you can then show yourself and. It's also a very important period because after this you have the, the the nationals coming and then obviously the world. So you want to be in a very good shape now and have some confidence so you, you can go into the nationals and the worlds with, with, with the confidence that you gained during this period. Then let's go and talk about the women's race. Puk Pietersen had the best start of the race and in the first lap up the first long climb she put her teammate Seinda Carmen Alvarado under pressure. Alvarado couldn't follow the wheel and the same went for the rest of the pack and Peterson opened a gap. Already in the first lap it looked to be game over but that was not to the liking of Shirin van Anrooy who had a pretty bad start. Van Anrooy came up to speed in the second lap and started gaining time on Puk Pietersen. She at some point very briefly even caught up to Puk Pietersen. However, Pietersen who was bunny hopping the barriers stretched out a gap there and from there on Van Anrooy was never able to close the gap anymore. Puk Pietersen took the win in Diegem ahead of Van Anrooy. There was an interesting battle for the third place going on. Inge van der Heide was able to follow Van Anrooy for a while when Van Anrooy was chasing Pietersen. She took a healthy lead of this over Alvarado. However Alvarado found some good legs again in the second part of the race and managed to catch Inge van der Heide. 
She managed to distance Van der Heide in the penultimate lap and take the lead in the Super Prestige in doing so as Betsema didn't have the best race. Buck Petersen with the win here in Diegem. I don't really think it's a surprise seeing the course that had quite some technical features, despite it being a tougher course than it might appear on TV, the technical sections really gave her the upper hand over Van Anrooy today. Yeah, I mean, that definitely that definitely helped her in this race. I mean, Petersen was from the start determined to, to be at the front and open that gap on both power and, and, and technique. And when the gap was established, it was for her uh, just a, you know, a point of utilizing your better places, the places where you actually can gain something technically and you have a lot in Diegem. Uh, and then, you know, try to not lose as much in, in, in the, the sections where Van Androoy was a little bit better, where you can utilize a little bit more power with the running a little. The sand section was also for Van Androoy, in my opinion. She actually came closer, and I think that if Van Androoy was actually able to bridge that gap in, in that one effort, it would have been a different race. Still would have given Peters uh, the advantage, but... It, it wasn't meant to be for Van Androoy to close that gap. And you, when you are, you know, that's probably the, the most killing feeling that you can have as an, as an athlete when you're trying to close a gap and you're, you're just not succeeding in it. Just you're so close, but just, yeah, that far. And then in the end, it's going to be very difficult to, um, to mentally get over it. And Van Androoy, you know, at that moment knew that she didn't have anything to, to bridge that gap and the race was ridden for, for Petersen, it was a victory for her. Yeah, that bad start really cost Van Anrooy. I think it's a further confirmation that we know that Van Anrooy made a step in terms of form and now is able to match Petersen because I think they were pretty evenly matched. However, I do think that the difference in the race looked a bit more leaning towards Van Anrooy than it actually was. You can roughly divide the course in Diegem into two parts. You have the technical part, which basically starts around the sand pit. And then you have it ending with the first pit zone. And then you have the second part, which involves more climbing. Van Androoy was definitely stronger on the climbing parts, especially this long paved climb. She really was able to take time out of Pieterse there. But Pieterse, minus the sand section, was better on the technical parts. She was bunny hopping in the barriers, gaining three seconds there every lap, sliding through the corners, very good on this muddy passage before you came to the finish. That really gave her the upper hand today. I would have wanted to see uh, like a real battle here if Van Androoy had a good start, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. But she can still be satisfied about the form level that she is reaching now. Because I do think that she's been making serious progression throughout the season. And if things do go her way, I'm interested to see. I think that she should be the favorite for the cross in Cockside. Because we could see again today that she was very good in the sand. We know that she's very good in the sand. And this was again a confirmation. So I'm looking forward to her. She can take positives from it. But in the end, another win for Petersu, I guess, can also be satisfied with this. Because... It didn't look to cost all too much effort in the end, did it? No, and you know you could hear it in in her in her race interview that she didn't really want to want to wake the race from from lap one and lead the race from lap one and actually have that solo that she had uh, was even happy to let let Van Androoy back at a certain point, but 
you know, then when she saw that there was an opportunity for her to to keep that gap, she she kept it and at such a point at such a point you can say that von Peterson was definitely in control the majority of the race and uh, it was for her and uh, you know and I wouldn't say an easy race because that's never an easy race but it was from her side it was a race where she some sort of control in the race and was able to um, yeah to maintain the gap that she had with van Anroy at least make sure that the gap was always there and and both can be satisfied with because van Anroy definitely made a step after that training camp and that is uh, that is going to be uh, an interesting factor in the next coming races and leading up to the championships as well for for Van Anroy what the decision will be elites are on the 23 and go on and go on but that is for later I think for now it's um, we can conclude that both were were happy with the results and probably for both the maximum achievable yeah I think both riders benefited of their freshness as well over the other riders Alvarado today looked good but in the first part of the race definitely seemed a bit tired looked to come through that tiredness in the second part of the race it was a good race by her and she stayed relatively calm closed that gap on van der heide but i think there's not really all too much to say about alvarado and van der heide both riders end where you would expect them to end they're still relatively close in the super prestige standings there's more to say about betsma because betsma she looked pretty good yesterday despite some weird tactics of wasting energy well in hindsight wasting too much energy on a course like zolder which cost her a good result there today i would have expected more from her but eighth it's disappointing and it looks to be game over in the super prestige with just two races left and that's unfortunate because she was off to such a good start in this classification and after bohm really was in a promising position yeah the it is uh, it's a bit of a shame but it's you know like I said, when the, the race of Zolder wasn't very important race and there it was already kind of lost. And then you are, I think, probably if she looked back at Zolder, it's definitely not a great feeling because you had a gap and that gap is kind of gone. She probably felt that she had the legs to do better than what she did. And then, you know, that's, it's definitely not... N- it's not definitely not nice and you don't have a an, you know a day or a week to think about it because guess what next day you have to to do it all over again for the same classification so there was not a lot of time to um to to rethink or to at least have some you know some some game plan for for today and today it was not a good day from her side it was i would say semi disappointing in a way so i think that from her yeah the super prestige is, is is almost over, especially in a classification where you can gain only one point per place. It's very difficult to then gain four p- points. So I think for her, it's you know she needs kind of a miracle to win it now in the super prestige, and she has to benefit from mistakes and mishaps and uh, problems from from Alvarado and Van der Heiden. I will say that this is not a good course for Betsema. It's well it has some technical sections but not the type of things that Betsema excels on it's not the chaining of corners like we see in Rutherford it doesn't have the elevation it's a race with a lot of tarmac a lot of high risk corners slipping and sliding trying to get as close to the barriers as possible it's not a Betsema course and it's unfortunate and it is in a way not necessarily a surprise that 
in what is probably the race with the most tarmac sections on the calendar that riders like Vash, Persico and Backstead who all have road experience and in front of her but it's still a shame and I think that on her cross quality I would have expected a bit more but it clearly wasn't a good day for her and there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Luckily she's still in a very good position in the X2O trophy. I don't think that she should worry there about her lead. That should definitely be a race where she can or the next race there Baal should be a race that suits her and from there on she should focus on that classification and try and win her first ever classification and I already said it earlier if she somehow loses the X2O trophy things will have gone seriously wrong and that would be super disappointing today it's obviously a disappointment for her but we also need to put it in perspective like it's not a good course for her she raced yesterday unlike Backstead, unlike Vash she has a bit of issues on courses like this so it's still below expectation and disappointing in terms of the classification but in terms of courses let's be honest it's no real surprise that a rider like Vosh does well here or was it definitely surprising the way she went through the scent because i think that was that was definitely good and overall i think she she rode quite a quite a good race was around there with with Backstead and Persico a little, but then at the end, you know, was able to um, be ahead of both. I think technically she's a little bit better than than, than Persico and Backstead, so I think that helped on the bike. Eh? So yeah, I think that in the end, from her, definitely um, a good result. We don't have to forget Dijem also has some some road sections, and you can have some sections where you can use some power. So I think that in the end. This was definitely within her abilities. The scent was definitely something that, that was a big improvement and that was great to see, to be honest. Yeah, that was surprisingly good. I think it played a factor that it was more of a power sand pit in the women's race than one that was decided on the technique. But it was still surprising to see her go through that so well. I think it was a good race by her. And I do think that we can, in all fairness, conclude that the riders who skipped yesterday's race after Havre were a bit fresher than the riders who went back-to-back, -back, which just makes a lot of sense when you say it, since they had an extra day of recovery whilst the others went back-to-back. -back. Zolder, definitely not an easy race yesterday. So, yeah, Fosh, fifth place, good result. Persico, sixth. Would have maybe hoped for a little bit more on a course like this, but on the other hand, after racing yesterday also not terrible so it is basically a mini tour de france that they are riding here De Klerk famously said this a couple of years well more than a couple of years ago that the christmas period is basically a mini tour de france and it is here also a mini tour de france but you choose the stages you do and i think there's not all too much to say about persico and Baxter. i mean both put in solid rides and if we look at the top 10 let me give the full top 10 just for perspective Pupitza with the win ahead of Van Androoy and Alvarado. Van der Heide in fourth ahead of Vosch in fifth. Persico sixth. Baxet seventh. Betsema eighth. Vorst in ninth. And Van Alphen in tenth. I don't think there's all too much to say about that. Outside of the top ten, good race by Casasola, who barely missed out on that top ten, was in the top ten for quite a while. Burkier also a good race on a course that doesn't really suit her and. I think that is basically it, unless you had anything that really stood out to you in the women's race. No, 
Not really. I think you mentioned it quite well. It's for both Persico and, and Bakstad. They 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 came onto their positions and they wrote they were both solid races. And it's just yeah, in the Christmas period, you're going to have more of this where you see that riders that maybe skipped one or two races and are a little bit fresher going into some of the races that we have going to have later on this season that they are going to be just that little bit better and you you know you can see that in the way they are riding and the result in the end so no but overall i think um, yeah there the, everybody came a bit more in his place it was not as crazy as the men's race which is a bit of a shame but i think the women's race was definitely good but yeah after both races it's very difficult to then um, have the same i would say the hype or at least the feeling in, in, in that sense, um, in both the men and the women's race, the women's race was, uh, compared to the men's race, was quite different. But uh, how many times did we have the women's races more exciting than the men's races? So it's always, um, you know, some you cannot always have both races be as exciting. And I think that we still had two very, very good races, the men's race, which was very exciting and something that we probably will not see again this season. And the women's race was a very solid season, a race where we saw a very strong Puck Peterson. Yeah, the women's race was a bit overshadowed by the men's race, but it was still a good one. The long break in between definitely didn't help. Now I think about it, I do have two more things to mention. Provo once again having chain issues. Seems to be a bit of an issue with that Pinarello or with Provo herself. And then... For the rest, Letizia Borghese, I hope I pronounced that correctly, the Italian from EF Education. She is, she is doing some cross races again this period. She raced in Gavre. She's trained by Dieter van Turenhout. She was, well, known for doing some races in the past, but she's making some progression. She was 21st today, also not too bad in Gavre, 35th. It's progression and she won't be a rider that's going to win races or end in the top 10 but it's still fun to see a road rider that comes race here do relatively well because on the men's side we had other road riders that raced today we saw that Gianni Vermeers raced or Clément Venterini, Venterini 22nd I don't know where Vermeers ended I saw him way in the pileup I think he ended somewhere around place 40 it wasn't a huge pack in that one so yeah, good to see one of these road riders come through with a decent result. Now on to one of the final episodes where I embarrass myself by trying to pronounce some foreign names because there was a race in Turin today, the Turin International Cyclocross race. The men's race was won by Davide Toniati and they definitely don't make it easy for me because Filippo Agestinascio ended second that is probably a mispronunciation but we move marco pavan completed the podium there the women's race was won by rebecca gariboldi ahead of federica venturelli and carlotta borello isam thank you for being here late at night to discuss the racing in Dichem. yeah thank you uh, for having me it was a great pleasure and on to the next one again yeah, we will be back after Lunhout, which marks the halfway point of the Christmas period. Five out of ten crosses done after Lunhout. Also marks the end of the 2022 calendar year, going into 2023 with more cyclocross action. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for your support on the podcast. Feel free to write to us either on Instagram message through the website or write to us directly. Noah at cyclocross with three S's at the end dot com.
Thanks for listening and goodbye.